Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here is your host, Sarah Blackhurst. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Action 22's Making Action Happen, the show where we discuss all the most pressing issues for our Southern Colorado rural communities. I've got with me today, well, welcome to the first season, um, the first full official season of this show. We just finished with the pilot season, and this is the first episode of the first season. So during this season, I'm going to have uh, Brian... McCain as our co-host. So he's going to not be a guest anymore, which he was routinely if you're a longtime listener to the show. Um, but uh, he's going to be my co-host this week um, and through the rest of the season. So we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of uh, things today. Um, I know that there wasn't much interesting happening in the world right now, but uh, we're going to talk about a few of those things during the second half of the show. Um, during the first half of the show, we wanted to first welcome all of the new Action 22 members. We've had a whole bunch of, of really great people join Action 22 in the last uh, 60 days or so. Um, so we want to give a shout out to um, Jeff and Paula Chosner. Jeff is the DA for uh, Pueblo County and Paula works for um, one of the, the more prestigious nonprofits, United Way, um, here. Nicaea Croissant. Um, we are really excited to have her on board. The Lower Arkansas Valley Water District has joined. Michelle Gardner, who was running all of the campaign for um, the redistricting, the getting folks to apply to be on that commission. Uh, she's joined us. The Dawson Ranch Homeowners Association, that's a really great group of people. Um, they just joined. And um, one of the former Action 22 board chairs, um, Kathy Worthington, um, is a part of that association, and she joined. It was really great to have her back with Action 22. Uh, Brenda uh, Felmley is the district director. Was she a district director? Regional director. Regional director for Scott Tipton. So you know that we're big fans of Congressman Tipton, um, and so we like um, his people in particular. And so she's just joined us, and she's on our board now. Um, and then we're really excited because of all the great things that are going to be happening in energy um, in the next little next 10 years uh, in our area. And that's Nextera Energy uh, Constructors has just joined Action 22. So we are excited to have them on. Um, and we really um, are looking forward to all the great things we're going to do this, this year. So um, before we get into all of the new laws that are happening in Colorado and sort of an uh, explanation of those, an interesting thing happened this week. Uh, I told Brian that my stimulus package or my stimulus funds had come in and he went to, you went to look at yours. What happened? Yeah. So um, if you're not familiar with it, you could go to the irs.gov website, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, check your, the status of your stimulus payment. Um, you log in, it takes a minute. And um, when you get on it, it'll show the previous stimulus payment and what bank account it was deposited in. And then it shows the second one. So I went to it because I did not get my funds. And of course, it said that it was already deposited and had a random bank account number. So I, I know the, the media and social media picked up on this later. But what had happened was I filed my taxes like I do every year with H&R Block. And <clears throat> I do a they take the payment to file the taxes out of my refund. 
Um, they, they have a term for it. So what happened was when the IRS sent the check out the second time, um, they sent it to that account that H&R Block would use to pull my payment to them out of. Um, it took a while to figure that out. I was on the phone with the IRS for four hours that night, um, just waiting to talk to somebody and they couldn't really tell me anything. But I did find on my tax forms that it matched another number on it. And eventually the payment got to me. It took a couple of days, but I know there's people out there that are going through it specifically in the rural areas because they use H&R Block, um, you know, any similar type tax agencies to, to file this. So if that happens to you, just check and give it a couple of days and it should get in. So if you haven't gotten your stimulus payment yet, go to irs.gov. And what are we looking for? Uh, my refund or my payment, I think it is. It, it's right on their, their main page. Um, and then it, you'll go in and it'll ask you to enter like your name, date of birth, how you filed and social security number. And then that'll pull up a page and um, show what the status of your payment is. And I think they're going to continue to send those out until mid-January. So next week, um, from what I read, everybody should have it by the end of the month, I believe, if not sooner. And they are sending out checks and debit cards to some people, and that might take a little bit longer for it to get out. But if you go to that page, it's right there on irs.gov. You can see where it's at. If they've paid you, um, you know, one good thing in my mind, I thought somebody went in and changed my tax information or my bank account as fraud to get the the refund or maybe even filed taxes in my name. Um, but the IRS did make it clear that uh, between Last the last payment and now it's impossible to change the bank account unless you go through this whole process. So it wasn't. And you fraud. actually did that. You yeah, actually I tried. Yeah, I went. That. I went through it and checked and made sure everything was good, and it was. Yeah. So it's pretty easy. Just go to irs.gov, um, look for my payment status, and then they will tell you where it's at and, and what's going on with it. So um, that was. That was pretty stressful because you go all of the really bad yeah. things that could happen. You go through that first in your head. Yeah, I was more afraid that somebody stole my information and filed taxes. That's yeah. what I was worried about. But luckily, that's not what happened. So pretty easy to fix. Okay, so I wanted to go through. Um, there's a whole bunch of Colorado legislation. And this is really, um, it's interesting because a lot of things happen in Colorado before they happen other places. So a lot of people across the country will watch what Colorado does. Um, and so, but this is really affecting very uh, specifically businesses um, in Colorado. So the Colorado legislation that was passed that went into effect January 1st, I wanted to talk just a little bit um, about that. So the first one was the Equal Pay for Equal Work Act. And of course you you think the federal government already has this in place, that's already a thing. Um, they wanted to, to up that because they, or to dial down on that um, a little bit. So the what happens is this new law prohibits paying different wages for similar work on the basis of sex. It's just in theory to beef up existing federal rules. So what they're doing specifically and HR people, um, human relations people all over Colorado collectively lost their minds just a little bit because this is what they're changing um, specifically for Colorado. It's how you post jobs. So you must include the compensation scales and general descriptions of benefits um, in your Colorado job postings. So the problem there is that 
<laughs> so when you go to apply for a job, they don't always, you know, say here's what the pay scale is or here's what the range is. Um, and of course, it's going to vary depending on your education and that sort of thing. And then you, they always ask you what, you know, what do you want your pay to be? And that's always an awkward question because you don't really know. So you have to do the research and see what the median is or whatever before you go in for the interview. But now when they post the job in Colorado, specifically, they have to say what they're paying for that. So if there's anybody that currently works for that organization that's not getting that, then it's it's grounds for a lawsuit. It's grounds for that kind of thing. So it's an added stress really to businesses that don't need it right now, but I don't know how much it's going to actually do to increase that, increase the, or decrease the disparity between um, equal pay and that sort of thing. So go ahead. So do you know, do you have to say, so when they post it on it, this is for every business in Colorado. Right. So if I own a business, I have to, if I'm going to hire somebody, I have to say how much I'm going to pay them. Now, is that a specific amount? Do I say that I'm going to hire you for this job for $50,000 or can it be, I'm going to hire you for this job between forty dollars and $60,000 based on experience? So that's exactly right. You must include compensation scales and general descriptions of benefits in your Colorado job posting. So that's specifically from the, from the legislation. So um, include compensation scales. So you can say it's going to be between this or this. And a lot of businesses already do that to some extent, but there's a lot of them that don't. And it's based on certain things. If you've had a longer, um, if you've worked there longer, you might get this amount or whatever, or sometimes it's going to actually clear out the closet on some of these things that people should have gotten a raise and they didn't get a raise. But for a lot of them, there's, there's some worry and stress about this because it opens up businesses to, to lit- litigation that they don't need any added at this point. Um, so yeah, it's the scale and general description of the benefits. Um, so the, what they did do is they had it for anybody whatsoever. Um, employers did push back and then the rule was limited to only positions based in the state or could be done in the state, which became a broader category. So that was an interesting one. Um, and we'll see. I don't know if it's going to actually make a difference or not, but um, it'll be interesting to see if there's any changes that in general on that. Um, the next one was the Healthy Families and Workplace Act. Now, keep in mind that during COVID-19, um, workers weren't forced to work while they were, were potentially sick or if they were left unable to care for those that were close to them. That's the specific language um, if they became ill. Uh, with the exception of essential workers. So essential workers, um, EMTs, if they worked in a hospital, um, they weren't under those same protections. But anybody else, you couldn't be forced to work during this. But that that expired on December 31st. And we knew it was going to expire on December 31st. So the state legislator added that um, Colorado was going to implement its own sick leave rules. And starting in 2021, it was the, fa- the Healthy Families and Workplace Act which is different from some of the other legislation that we were talking about, but this is specifically for that. And it requires that Colorado employers with more than 16 employees provide one hour of paid sick leave for every 30 hours of work up to a minimum of 48 hours. So for most large employers, they already had a sick leave offer. This isn't above and beyond on that. 
but it's really the small businesses that are going to have um, some struggle with this. They already run lean. They already have shorts. They're already short staffed. They're already trying to juggle around. Um, and should you paid sick leave for smaller businesses? 16 isn't a lot. 16 isn't a huge, isn't a huge business um, by any means. Um, and we've already heard back from some of our Action 22 members who are deeply concerned about about this and how they do that and how they manage it. Um, and if they have quite a few employees, but like, for example, they're an essential nonprofit, like a healthcare facility or something like that, they're really um, hurting um, on, on these kinds of things. Um, so one of the things that, that came out was um, that this is a really a much bigger burden on smaller employers than it is on larger employers. And for Colorado, almost all of our business, 80% or more of the business in Colorado are considered small businesses. So that's going to be um, a little more difficult. And I think, I kind of feel like these guys were managing and, and doing it and taking care of it themselves. A lot of our businesses that we talked to, we were already taking care of it and making it work the best they could. But as, as you continue to add on, there's no incentives to go back to work and to continue to have that paid leave. Um, it's, it's a huge, huge burden on those small businesses. So we'll see, we'll see how this affects them. I don't, I haven't heard, I don't know if you've heard, Brian, anybody say that they're going to close down their business because of this. No, no, but not at all. I don't think that they're going to close down, but it definitely adds, it, it shrinks their margin. That's already super, super lean. Um, this one, I don't think is, is a terrible, a terrible thing, but again, I don't think that there's a whole huge number of businesses that are sort of violating this, but it's the public health emergency whistleblower. Um, and this new law is try, try to protect employees um, who raise public health or safety concerns during a public health emergency. And so what this does for Colorado, and this is only in Colorado, if an employer retaliates, such as sidelining or firing somebody who complains that the employee cannot file um suit alleging discrimination. So if they're saying that they're, that there is, they're not fully following the, the rules and they're putting them at risk, um, employers, um, so they blow the whistle on them. Usually a whistleblower uh, case has to do with discrimination, but this has to do with uh, public safety. So if there's any kind of retaliation, um, the employees could be liable for lost wages or $10,000, whichever is the greater amount. So that's a new one. And again, I don't know, we haven't seen any businesses that haven't really done, I mean, even shopping today, everybody's going above and beyond to try to keep everybody safe. But um, again, there's a whole lot of discussion and, and that was part of the stimulus on the federal level is uh, business liability and liability protections and that sort of thing. And I, I'm a little concerned about that one. Um, there was a couple odd and end ones for Colorado. They increased the um, the twelve hour twelve dollars an hour um, in that was minimum wage in twenty twenty to twelve thirty two, and that's based on inflation. So that was it was a change, but that that particular law was already in place. The other one that might be a little bit interesting, and it's just because uh, again Denver does something, and then everybody else takes it into consideration as to whether or not they're going to do this. But this one, I think, is a really, a really heavy one, and especially for restaurants now who are barely holding on. So um, Denver will go from a $12.85 an hour 
minimum wage to $14.77 an hour. And for that's for 21 and 22, it'll go to $15.87. I don't argue that one, but the one is that tipped employees um, increased from $9.83 an hour to $11.75 an hour. So the reason that I get a little bit worried about this is, first of all, the Colorado Restaurant Association asked that they delay this for a little bit, but they didn't, um, especially to try to get through this because so many restaurants are already on the verge of closing on that side of it. The other thing is in, in, in certain places in Colorado, in some of the rural communities in Colorado, 983 for a tipped employee is, is kind of a lot anyways, but to ask them to go to 1175, that will finish off um, some of our some of our local restaurants and some of our, our rural communities. So that one actually was a lot bigger concern. You know, I think in Denver, I don't think that that's unreasonable to have an 1175 an hour for tipped, but in, in Rocky Ford, that is definitely. So it's something that we have to worry about. So those are all of the, the odds and ends um, on all the laws that are coming into effect in, uh, in 2021. And those, those are the ones in particular that affect our businesses. So I have, I worry a little bit about, cause our session is gonna start, it's gonna have a little sort of a kickstart and then it's gonna be a recess and then it's gonna go back in. I have to wonder, in a post-COVID world, passing these laws, they should be delayed or something. There should be some kind of thing in place for businesses to not have to get hit with these kinds of things during a crisis. And I think that's part of the thing that I'm really concerned about um, with where, not just Colorado, but across the country, that we're do, that we're still pushing these things in the middle of a crisis. Yeah, it's so during COVID, everybody's hit economically, whether it's an employee or an employer. And to put any further monetary burden on a business during these times, it's kind of, it's not a good deal. I mean, the the last thing that a small business owner wants to deal with is having to pay more money at the moment that if they're barely keeping their doors open. And, you know, again, can't reiterate it enough. It's, you know, their businesses are closed down or almost closed down and no fault of their own. So if I have a small business, I'm, not making it right now, just barely, barely there, might lose it. I think any type of financial burden that comes on me at this point, um, it, it's just it's just another arrow in the back or a stab in the back. And and I can understand why small businesses are angry at this. And I, I empathize with them as being a former small business owner. Um, the regulatory burden on small business is huge. Um, everything from licenses to taxes. Um, and so not all of it's bad. I'm not saying it's all bad, but you know, when you have a small business, your concerns are making sure you have enough money to stay open just through the regular regulations. Right. And that's your first concern is like, do I have enough money to operate, um, with regulations and taxes? Your second concern is, okay, am I making enough money to pay my employees or pay myself if you're an owner operator? And I, I just remember that going back that it was, you know, I, I wasn't as worried about giving myself a paycheck as I was making sure I could pay, you know, my license fee, my sales right. taxes, my federal taxes, my employee taxes, all that. So 
anything in addition to what they're already paying. It's just, it's not good. And I can sympathize with them. Well, with so many restaurants already closing down and so many of these small businesses, the cost of actually becoming compliant and doing, doing that. So we were at Best Buy earlier today and we had somebody to meet us at the door and ask us where to go and what, you know, where we were and, and just sort of regulating those kinds of things. And we don't see it with all businesses, but most of the businesses that we, that we deal with on a regular basis are doing everything they can. And it's at great cost to them already. Mm-hmm. But I have to wonder when we do this and, and, you know, we have to in, in protect employees and mm-hmm. that means keeping businesses open. Yes. It means, does it mean creating more burden on businesses? Because the only thing that's going to result is they're going to have to lay off or shut down. I mean, that's yeah. what we're talking about. And it's not, it's not ever going to be what it was before. We're going to have to do all these things, but we're going to have to quit. I think on some, on some level, saying we need to fix all of the ills of society on the backs of small business owners. It's never going to happen. And what you're going to find is these businesses are going to close and all of the goods and services that are provided by a a government, state, local, whatever, those will go away because that's where they make their money. That's how, that's what comes in. So those are, those are my big concerns on those. Um, We're going to talk with a, a lot of our action 22 businesses and find out how, if and how any of these new laws will are affecting them, or if it's affecting them, or if they're fine with it as we go in the in the weeks to come. We don't know yet what the new legislative session is. I'm a little worried about we've got a lot of people who have been, and these are all workhorses and these are all competitors, and they're all people who are super engaged in the business of creating policy for Colorado. And they've been in the shoots for quite a while. So they are all chomping at the bit to get back to work. And I'm a little bit worried that instead of saying, what can we do to help? What can we do to further an agenda that may not be relevant in a post-COVID world? So we'll see what they're, we're going to do. I think we're going to have to watch that really, really closely to see if they're willing to adapt or they're going to try to create an old normal that no longer exists. So the this long, this elongated, and it's going to be an elongated session because um, the Colorado session will go the 13th. Um, they're going to start where they when they were planned to. They say it's only going to be a couple of days, but they haven't said specifically how many days that's going to be. And that's fine. There's some things that they have to bang the gavel on uh, to just to get started. And then they're going to come back a month and we're hoping to have that if there's no other recesses during, then they would finish into the, you know, the first week of June or something or the second week of June. So when they come back for the first part um, this month, is that for the budget? Is that what they're working on? That's part of it. So they'll have to do the budget proposal. So the governor's already working on his budget proposal. um, And we'll be hearing about that here pretty quick. I don't, and they don't have the agenda yet of specifically what they're going to try to get done. They're just going to come and do the stuff that's regulated by the constitution. They have to start the session. They have to do this, but I don't even know if the governor is going to do the state of the state until afterwards. We're going to hopefully have him on the show um, in the next couple of weeks. And then we're also going to be doing the Voices of Rural Colorado, which is the event that we do every year with Pro 15 and Club 20. And we're going to have a whole lot of our our folks there. And then um, 
so that'll happen in a couple of weeks and we'll have a better idea of what the priorities are for everybody. And then a little bit better idea of what's, what's going on. A lot of discussion of the, some of the stuff that didn't get finished last year, they're going to be talking about like paid family leave. Um, we're also having lots and lots of discussions. We're hearing there's going to be lots and lots of discussion about liability protections and what we can do and what's reasonable and what we can't do in the coming, in the coming years on liability protections and, that whole quagmire uh, that the federal government certainly couldn't figure out. So hopefully Colorado can figure out something a little more reasonable that could be a model for the rest of the nation on that. So we are going to take a break when we come back. Anything interesting going on in the world, Brian? Nothing at all. <laughs> Everything is working perfect and nothing bad is happening. Nothing right bad now. is happening. So we, uh, yesterday the, our day, everybody's day got a little bit derailed by what was happening. So when we come back from the break, we're going to talk uh, a bunch about some of that perspective. And I want to, I want to call on Action 22 leadership. You know, we have such great members that are Action 22 members, and they're all leaders in their own right. And we've had a lot of discussion about how we move forward. But I think if anything, yesterday was a wake-up call to require us to be more specific in how we would actually move forward and what we need from leadership and what we need from ourselves. We, we talk a lot about what we think other people should do, but maybe there should be a mirror. Um, and I, I've given this a, been giving this a lot of thought anyways. What can I, Sarah Blackhurst, do that's different or better so that the at least our little corner of the world would be not so susceptible to the, I'll just say rhetoric. That's probably the nicest thing I can say right this minute. And we're going to get, you have, you have a few thoughts. Yes, yes I do. Um, before we go into that, I think that everybody should just calm down and watch the Mandalorian <laughs> for a week. Take a break. Let's do. Yes. If you have not, if you don't have Disney plus go get Disney plus, but you need to watch the Mandalorian. That is where baby Yoda is. And that's probably the best thing that happened in 2020 was Grogu and the Mandalorian and Tiger King, Tiger, Tiger King was good. Tiger King was the most normal thing that happened. Yes, it was. And I'm going to say that baby Yoda was the best thing that happened. So um, I think that says it all about 2020. So we'll be back in just a couple minutes. And we're going to talk about what happened, what didn't happen and what we can do to make things better from where we stand. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, 
self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hello, welcome back couple things before we sort of dive in on the perspectives that we have on everything that happened at the Capitol yesterday. I've been giving a lot of thought to our Action 22 members and all the amazing things they do. And as you already know, we're going to be working a lot on economic recovery. We really want the economic health and recovery of our entire region to be a priority for everybody, but we're putting some action items next to that. But as I was thinking earlier this week about our membership and how everybody can be a part of, you know, not only a part of Action 22, but also a part of that recovery effort, I thought there's this huge resource we have with everybody. And I'm going to call on you as listeners and as Action 22 members to, to help me out with a couple things. As we move forward with our rapid recovery effort that we're that we've put together that program um, I'm wondering if you will help me out and give me a couple of details and we'll we'll talk about this on the show on later episodes but give me a couple of thoughts that you have had whether you're a business owner or an employee or if you're an elected official or whoever you are what do you think personally would make a difference toward recovery toward ac- actual economic recovery. Um, so once again, what do you think is would make a difference on any of those things? How do we move forward in a productive way? I'm going to ask you to email me your answer, your thoughts, and that maybe that can help us is, as we move this forward too. So if you will email me at show, S-H-O-W, at action22.org, we're going to take your response. We're going to maybe apply it to some things, but we're going to talk about it on later episodes of the show. And we'll talk about, and we may even have you on the show to talk a little bit about what your thoughts are. So it was fairly early in the day yesterday. I'm going to say maybe nine or 10. And I texted you, Brian, and I said, are you watching this? Are you tracking this? Is, did the Capitol just get shut down? And then I sent you a picture and 
we got together later, but I couldn't stop watching and thinking on everything that happened yesterday. So what was your initial thought when you saw what was going on? Uh, everybody's crazy and losing their minds. <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, looking back at the past year, there's a lot of factors that led to everything that we've been going through from, you know, the COVID response to um, protests, to riots, to vandalism, to more protests, turning into riots and chaos. Um, when COVID first hit, um, it was the first time that, well, actually going back even further. So with social media, the internet, you know, this is the first time ever in history that everybody is connected. Everybody has a voice. Um, it's not a face-to-face -face voice, which you, you read Twitter or Facebook and some of the comments, you know, going through my previous job for Congressman Tipton, it's like the stuff that you would read on it when we would go through, it just depresses you all day. You know, every morning I would open up Facebook, Twitter, and we had a couple people doing it in the office. Um, they can monitor it and basically block comments that say very bad things like cuss words or right. just mean or mean towards people. Um, but it's like we live in this world where you have a voice that everybody can see, but there's no accountability to that voice. Uh, I kind of equate it to road rage where you could be in a car, somebody cuts you off and you're like, I'm going to, uh, I wish I could punch that guy. And you're so angry. But then if you pull up to the red light next to him, you're like, oh, everything's good. Like, I'm not going to get out and punch that guy in the face. Some people do, but for the most part, most people wouldn't. Um, you get on Twitter, you get on Facebook, you know, you can cuss out everybody from an elected official to a movie star to, you know, John Smith down the street. Just it, it's no accountability because you're not talking to their face. So we have that ability right now. And with that ability, you have you can join groups of people that are doing this, that are angry about something or happy about something. It's all, all negative. So, you know, you can have your your grandma's scrapbooking group and, right. and you know, or uh, I forget what. The other one was, it was uh, our grandma's lasagna recipes, you know, or there's a hundred thousand people to share this. That's great. But then you have groups of people that are just angry and maybe it's their situation. They're not happy with the way things are, which again, we kind of saw in the last presidential election that you had a large group of people that just, it, this society and the system wasn't working for them. And then they elected president Trump, you know, they stood up like, this is something different. What we're working with now really hasn't helped us. So we're going to go this way, get that on Facebook and you can have people that are frustrated in any group. I mean, you can have um, communists that raise snakes, you know, like <laughs> mad, mad about reptile trade or something right. or, or, you know, capitalists that raise mammals like mice or something. So you could join these groups so that you, then you go to COVID and COVID happens. And again, the news is 24 seven. It's not just six o'clock at night for an hour. You have like a million news feeds million people that say their news feeds, um, hate to use the term, but fake news feeds. And everybody's just getting inundated. This is COVID. This is the end of the world. Everything's shutting down. Everybody's going to die. So then you have, again, the government responses, which are always slow. Um, and, and there's a reason for that. It, it takes a while because it, it is a large organization. You're talking about whether it's the European government or the United States government or whatever. Um, they do respond to it, but it takes some time. And now everybody's freaking out because it's now, now, now. Um, so then when we get through the COVID response, you know, then they start shutting things down. And initially they say, we're going to be shut down for two weeks, flatten the curve. 
that's it. This is going to be a sacrifice for two weeks. Everybody needs to stay home. And for the most part, everybody did. And everybody was fine with that. We were scared. But then the two weeks turned into a month. And then it turned into two months. And then it turned into three months. And there, there seemed to be no real light at the end of the tunnel. You know, one day they're saying, uh, you know, you need to wear masks. The next day they're saying somebody says masks don't work or, you know, it's airborne. It's not airborne. Um, and we're figuring it out as we go along. A lot of it is we didn't know how this virus actually behaved. We knew nothing about it. Um, but this frustrates people. This scares people. This, you know, depresses people. So then then you have the first round of um I don't want to say civil unrest, but protests um, and riots that were in response of um, uh, police shooting. Right. Right. So, again, you have this this group of people that that uh, um, a group of people that, you know, it's not it's not working for them. They see this. They want action and they take to the streets. And coupled with that, you have everybody businesses shut down. So they're angry and it's kind of like a powder cake. Right. So this goes off. And that's where we see like what happened earlier last year. The thing is, when I originally looked at this and talking to people, um, I knew something was going to happen. Like something was going to get set off. I didn't know what it was, what the catalyst was. And I think there was that feeling. And then we saw it happen. Well, add that, and then we're still shut down. Right. And then in states, and, and again, I'm not blaming the leadership or anything with this at all. I'm just saying how it is. Um, you have, we're open, we're shut down again. It's getting better. It's getting worse. It's getting really worse. Then we're open again. And so you have, and then you have, you know, restaurants, you can serve inside, you can't serve inside. The the craziest thing I saw was like in New York city, you can have outdoor dining, but not inside dining. But then the restaurants built buildings outside that are enclosed. And that counts as outside dining, even though in my mind, that's inside dining, but it's confusion. So, along with um, a contentious presidential election coming up and more people voting than I think ever yeah. in this on both sides. And then you see everybody's at home in front of their computer because they're not going to work. Everybody's working at home from their computer and you're just inundated with these ads and the rhetoric and these groups, you know, saying one thing, saying another. Um, and it just, it kind of created another powder keg, I think. And with that, we, we see what's going on with the presidential election and the contesting of it and people sticking to their sides. And then yesterday happens where the, you know, people went to D.C. to support who they felt won the election. And it turned into almost a mob mentality. And it's hard to explain the mob mentality if you haven't been in it. You can have the most nice, subtle, non-violent or non-active person, and you could put them in that situation and they will become part of the mob. Um, Even looking at all of these protests over months up till yesterday, it was weird because you would see people there with their families. And you don't see that. And what it is, is they don't go there to like break stuff or riot or, you know, yell and scream but they kind of get caught up in that, in this, this mob mentality. And yesterday was a perfect example. You know, you had people show up at the, the Capitol. Um, you know, they support the president or whatever reason why they're there. They thought the election wasn't right or whatever. Like th- yeah. that part, I don't care about 
in saying this. I do care about it, but in explaining what happened. And then they just get caught up in it. And you, you see chanting, you see singing, um, which is interesting because if you go through a lot of these protests that we're seeing here in the, the, this country and around the world, um, one common thing that you see in massive mob movements and protests is you do see singing, you do see chanting um, anywhere. Like you, you could go back to like ancient Greece and, and that's how they would fight. It would be chanting, singing, and that's what kind of solidified the mob, you know, oh, yeah. the army. It's like Put you have that. Yeah. It's like the military, you know, people are like, why are we marching? Why are we doing like left, right face thing? Like the same. It's because it gets you to function in a unit. And when you see that singing and chanting, it's doing the same thing. So you show up to DC, everybody's, um, you know, angry, whatever. Um, they're there to voice their opinion, their free speech. And then you start seeing this and like the mob starts to build and then it just takes one person to set it off. And, you know, the, some of the videos yesterday, it was like, they pushed their way up. I think the Capitol police weren't ready for that. Um, just my experience in DC, you know, um, and talking to people, the police were everywhere in DC cause it, it's a big city. Um, that's never happened like that before. And, and I just think that the Capitol police were overwhelmed and that's why they kind of pulled back and went inside. And then when you see the, the police line pull back, then the mob goes forward. Right. And then again, on one video, you see one guy breaks a window. And the second that guy broke a window, it was kind of like, you know, the, the dam open, the floodgates yeah. open. And then people are caught up in the movement and they get in there. And as we saw, unfortunately, somebody was shot, killed in the. Well, you've been on the phone. I, Yes. With some of your some of your colleagues yep. that were still in DC or were in yeah. DC, and uh, the days prior to this, earlier in the week, and they yeah. they said that there was a lot of police, like there was, yeah. you could feel it, right? Yeah. It was. Um, I, I talked to one of my friends out in DC, and he he's been there for a while, and he said that it was crazy because the amount of police just on the grounds all over DC was the most he's ever seen, and he's been there for at least 10 years, you know, around 10 years. And even when it was like presidential elections, he said, it's never been like that. It was police everywhere and just standing there looking for stuff, you know, like observing people trying to figure out what was going to happen. And then also a good point he made, he said, you know, he's looking to move back now um, and the, or move out of DC. And one reason why he's like, Hey man, I've been here for in the past six months. Like everything has been boarded up. Like, everything has been boarded up for six months. And you hear the same thing from people in New York, California, you right. know, it's like, this is my city and it's been boarded up for almost a year now. It's not the same thing. Um, so, so again, like going back to that, yeah, there was, there was police everywhere. They, they were ready for something to happen. And just in my thinking, it's like, who would think that this would happen at the Capitol building? And it did. Well, or, but that third, it'd be 30,000 people. Yeah. I think that's the other thing. There was just so many. Um, yeah. And you know, they, they probably knew something was, they had the feeling they knew yeah, they'd the seen, there's no way to get through that um, without there being some indications, but um, I, it's probably, there was nothing specific planned. No, no, nothing specific. It was, it again, was that mob mentality. Again, it's, it's, people are frustrated right now because look at it again, you have social media, everybody's been forced to stay home. People are losing their jobs. Um, you know, you see countless times where you have business owners or people that lost their job and it's like the last stimulus round 
And again, you know, and no fault of their own, they were shut down and lost their business or lost their job. And they're like, you're going to give me 600 bucks. Like, yeah. and not to go into like socialism or this, whether it's good or bad policy, but the perception of people when that went out was like, oh, I'm only worth 600 bucks to you. Like, right. that's it. Like, like you've, that's ridiculous. you've shut me off from everything and I'm worth $600. And, and you know, they, people went to DC and, and it was both sides of the aisle. And, and, you know, it's, you have all that and it's just, it, it's almost like that was a cathars, cathartic release for them, not a good one. And that's where, it, again, a powder keg just exploded. They had to do something. They just yeah. didn't know what. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess I get a little bit annoyed, but let me back that up ahead of time and saying that I know what our relationships with our, are with our state legislators and I know what they put into it and I know those things. And even our, um, our Colorado delegation um, in the past, I guess my question is, if, what's, what is it going to take leadership to actually do to sort of walk this back. And I think it starts with, in my mind, it starts with two things that we that have been lost in the discussion. One of them that, and I blame the media on it, but one of those things is that at some point, Dems have, the Democrats have all of the, they have all of it. They have the House, they have yes. the Senate, they have the presidency now. But what I think is failing to be recognized is that 49% of this country voted for Trump in this last election. Yes. And nobody's asking the question as to why that's the case. Instead, what, you heard, what I heard over and over again, I counted five different times yesterday that somebody said something about it was a huge win that, that Trump lost. It was a huge loss for Trump that sort of inflating the numbers, not recognizing that 49% of this country mm-hmm. did vote for Trump, what, six weeks ago? Yeah. Um, and so at what is it going to take, what leadership characteristics is it going to take to turn that around, number one? And number two, I think when we look to see the a number of unaffiliated voters, I think we're forgetting a big, huge portion of who's actually voting, and that's unaffiliated. And so why are we only taking two parties into consideration? So first, what do you think it's going to take leadership to do in order to to turn that around or to recognize that? Because that's got to be part of the anger. Yeah, so uh, with the Democrats um, technically controlling everything, so the Senate's still 50-50, and then the vice president comes in on a tiebreaker. thing on the Senate is, is you still have to get, you know, the 60-some votes to pass something. So right. it's you could say that the Democrats are, you know, have control of the Senate, but to pass anything, they really don't because they're going to have to work with Republicans across the aisle to, to pass legislation through the Senate. Which, um, which is a start, you know, it's the, the house was, is close. Also right. you have that so that the house isn't, you know, heavy on one side or the other. It's actually pretty close. I forget what the number is, but um, they're going to have to work across the aisle. And I know it's a two party system and there's arguments against the two party system, but that's what we have right, right now. And that's what we're working with. And that's what this country is basically um, politically built on at the moment. Um, they're going to have to work across the aisle because to pass anything through the Senate, 
you're going to have to have Republicans on. So it's still going to have that balance in it. Um, it won't just be a one party controlled Senate. The House side as well, um, it's going to be tough because you have Democrats that maybe middle of the road or, um, you know, closer to conservatives on some issues or Republicans on some issues than than some of the far left. Same thing with the Republicans. You have Republicans, which we saw after what happened yesterday, you had Republicans come out um, that said they were going to contest the um, Electoral College, did not. Like after they saw that, they're like, no, you know, we're done with this. Um, So from a leadership perspective, you have to show the people that you can work together. You have to get the media on your side to show that they are working together. Um, You know, I I don't think anybody, and I'm going to steal this from my former boss, you know, I don't think anybody went to Congress to ruin the country or do bad (laughs) things. Um, Although there might be a few, but (laughs) um, um, they went there because they believe and what they're doing is the best thing for the country and the people. So they have good intentions going there, um, but the, they're going to have to work across the aisle and they're going to have to show that they could work across the aisle because they are the leaders and you lead by example. Um, now this is going to make the far left and far right very unhappy and they'll always be unhappy. And yeah. what we're seeing in these, these protests on both sides, this is a small percentage. This isn't like everybody on the left is this way. Everybody on the right is this way. Like, right. I would say, they say 80% of Americans think the same. I think it's more like 90%. We want the same thing. Just have different ideas to get, you know, how we're going to get to it. Um, But again, if the leadership can show that of working with their colleagues that may not share the same views as them, and if the media can show that too, um, then I think that's a start. I think that's really how the healing of this country is going to go forward. And then with that, you have the the COVID and and we have a new administration coming in and whether you agree with them or disagree with them, you know, sometimes a fresh perspective on the situation at hand might lead to new um, solutions. Right. So you have a whole new team coming in with administration that they've been looking at the COVID thing. They've seen what has and hasn't worked and they might have some new ideas. It's good to get a fresh, you know, set of brains in the room on this. So we have that. And I think that can help. Um, But again, it's you, they have to show that they could work across the aisle and it's different federally than it is in the state because in the state, our legislators, they go up to the Capitol for, you know, part-time and they're not up there all year round. Um, Their districts are small. You know, they represent a side of a town and they live with the people they represent. So if you have say, um, Representative Escar, for instance, just throwing her name out there, you know, if she does something that her constituents are unhappy with, she's going to run into them at King Supers. Right. Um, exactly. You know, and they have to go home and face that. And then also they work so close together in the Colorado State House that <clears throat> you hear perspectives. It's like somebody from Denver is like, well, this is the best thing for my people. And then somebody from, you know, southeastern Colorado, um, like say Campo County for example is like, well, where we live, this isn't the best way to address this. And then they talk about it and they're like, oh, I never knew that. Like, yeah, yeah that's And then they're like, good. well, let's make it, Yeah, you decide where you're at yeah, and yeah. do it that way. But unfortunately in the federal government with the United States Senate and House, you don't have that. No. Um, you know, they go out there and they, they do their vote and they do talk to each other and stuff, but it's, New York is completely different than Colorado and Texas is different than California. 
But the, the, I think the other element that really, really bothers me is that if somebody were to have their own opinion that was separate, separate from their party, and and nobody is innocent on this, yeah. In any, that we're going to destroy you. We're going to destroy you because the what we have right now, the play. I think the place that we're at is if you disagree with me, you're my mortal enemy. Yes. And I've got, I've got to get rid of you. Yes. Um, I've got to cancel you. That's the cancel culture, whatever it is. There's not the, okay, tell me why you think that way. Exactly. And, you know, I, I always thought when looking at a, a politician um, from the local level on up, you know, I, I would vote for somebody irregardless of party, just, you know, I expected to vote for somebody and maybe agree with them 80% on the things right. and then 20%, I'll, I'll give them that. We can't all be a hundred percent. And people need to realize that, you know, part of politics is making um, agreements. I mean, that's, that's what politics is. It's um, making agreements, given, giving up a little to get a little, and nobody's ever going to agree with somebody a hundred percent, but in today's culture, and it's not just politics. It's like, if you're not my way, it's the highway kind of mentality. And again, that leads to some of this, what we're seeing with um, protests, you know, and, and again, the party thrown out their own because they're, they're not on board with them a hundred percent. And that, that kind of bothers me. It's again, we don't all think the same. We're individuals. I'm never going to agree with somebody a hundred percent, nor should I punish them because I don't agree with them 100%. Right. You know, now maybe, if I don't agree with them 90%, then I'll get them out of the way and yeah. <laughs> not have anything to do with them. But So at two o'clock this morning, they were still working on certifying the vote. And there was a just very nearly a bench clearing brawl. Yeah. Um, and when I read that this morning, I thought, is there any hope for this Congress um, to ever value... <sighs> cooperation over their party's agenda. I think that if they don't, if it continues to be as decisive, you're going to see a lot of congressmen and senators get voted out the next election. I think the majority of the people are sick of this. And with everything that's happened, this is kind of like the breaking point. I bet you if they don't work together or, you know, even if they're exposed, like doing certain things or saying one thing and voting a different way, you're going to see that the majority of the people are waking up to it. Everybody's like a, an active voter now and then more so than ever that right. a lot of these people are going to get um, not, they're not going to win their election. Is there this. any opportunity for the media to get on board with, with saying, here's, who's cooperating. If people put pressure on the media to do that, or yeah. if it starts to get the clicks, if people like to see that, they'll yep, do it. They sure do. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for our discussion today. We, uh, we needed to talk about some of these things and I wanted to catch you up. So next week, it's, uh, if everything works out, we're going to have Senator Bennett, Senator Michael Bennett is going to be on the show. We're really excited to have him and we will let you know um, for sure a little bit later this week. So uh, please, once again, if you would email me with your thoughts and questions at show at action22.org. Again, that email address is show at action22.org. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. 
Be sure to join your host, Sarah Blackhurst, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.